So things as uh, cost control, making sure you have the right sales channels. These things are more and more important. And especially with investors that they really want to make sure there is no room for error. It becomes really important to have as a startup, have everything in order. The biggest room for improvement we see in distribution uh, because it can be very unclear for brands. Where is the product going? Where is it selling well? Uh, they basically ship products to the distributor and give a lot of power to the distributor because it's mm -hmm. sort of a black box. It's unknown. Uh, so what we see now more and more are, are blockchain technology uh, distributors that use um, uh, the technology so have complete visibility of when and how the product is being delivered. And this way, it's, it's much more cost efficient. Hello again, this is Chris Reichkowski. We're here with the Future Foodcast, where we speak with thought leaders from around the world that are telling us about the trends in technology and what's happening in the future for food and restaurants and, and what we're consuming at home. Happy to be here today with Bernard Verkaik, who is with Greater Goods, a really interesting um, sort of consulting advisory, for, advisory firm for startups in the food space. Welcome to the show today. Thank you very much. Um, now, we've had a bit of chance to discuss before, um, you know, starting this podcast and really interesting to learn where you came from and how you got into starting this company and why you started this company. And I wonder if you could tell our audience a little bit about your background and what motivated you to start The Greater Goods. Yeah, so I... Um... I'm originally from the Netherlands and I came to Canada in the early 2000s and uh, trying to find, find a job. And then I landed in the food industry. There was a gentleman that trained me and, and showed me everything uh, that I needed to know about the food industry and slowly worked my way up uh, in the food industry. So this was for an imported distributor. Uh, then I started working for a food manufacturer uh, called Berry Callabouts. It's the largest uh, chocolate manufacturer. And learning really understanding uh, the food industry, uh, the supply, the manufacturing, the sales, uh, working with retail retailers. And um, what I noticed is that there was no support for food startups. So often I would see these amazing brands or they re would reach out to me. But I saw, always saw a challenge of... Uh, launching or uh, going to the markets as a startup company. And four years ago, I decided to start my own business and starting helping those people. Because walking into the grocery aisle, uh, I would always see the big brands represented. And I noticed that it's very difficult for startups to navigate through the system and try to make it successfully in the grocery store. Mm. And... I started helping these uh, startup companies and it's been a great journey. Excellent. And you, uh, of course, we couldn't have predicted it, but you started all this at a very interesting time. And starting four years ago, you've had the good experience of what we used to call the normal economy and almost two years now of the new economy. And uh, I'm curious, tell us a little bit about that transition for you and what it meant to your business, especially the startups you're working with and how have they essentially, probably all of them had to pivot and, and deal with uh, what's happening during the current pandemic sort of business style, if you will. 
Yeah, that's that's correct. And also the people uh, we noticed uh, during the uh, the midst of, of the pandemic uh, that uh, also food service uh, companies started reaching out to us that wanted to launch into retail, uh, realized that um, uh, they had a high risk by only selling food service. So we also started uh, supporting those companies. And for startups, what we noticed is that investors uh, were more concerned, were really looking for uh, expertise and performance. So we also work with investors that have their own brands and want to make sure that they perform well. Um, so what we noticed is that uh, everything became really important. Uh, so things as uh, cost control, uh, making sure you have the right sales channels. Um, and that's something where we help people the most with is what we realize is that there's simply not enough margin for the brand to expand or to grow or to be uh, profitable. So these things uh, we started uh, uh, addressing uh, by sourcing, getting more direct uh, sources, uh, lowering their costs, uh, negotiating their uh, manufacturing contracts, setting up other ways of uh, manufacturing, reformulating to make sure that uh, mm -hmm. the cost is as low as possible. So we noticed that um, during the pandemic, and I think that will continue, is that um, these things are more and more important, and especially with investors, that they really want to make sure there is no room for error. And it becomes really important to have, as a startup, have everything in order before mm -hmm. you go to market or when you are in the market. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, working with startups, um, I've been in a bunch of startups myself. And, and one of the painful things that we all learn very quickly is, as you suggest, you indicated, um, there's a very high failure rate of startups. That's just the way it goes. Um, but you're also, it sounds like working with companies that have investors behind them, not just probably the entrepreneurs that are funding their own ventures, but maybe um, sort of independent investors. And how are they getting comfortable or even maybe demanding that their companies are working with a person, a company like yourself, who has long experience in what did those investors see that you're bringing to the business that's going to be worth the cost and worth the time for their entrepreneurs to be spending with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what we see is that uh, what's really important is a speed to market. Um, so for example, we helped to launch a baking mix during the pandemic because people started gravitating towards uh, home baking and we're looking for healthy options, which were often not available. So we helped to launch a, a brand that is sugar-free, uh, gluten-free, delicious, beautiful packaging, and really enhancing uh, the category. So we were able to launch this uh, in five months. And typically what you see, uh, so we get a lot of calls from entrepreneurs. They call us, they're two years into their business, and they basically have no sales. They're in debt. Usually they spend around $100,000, $150,000 and there's just no results. So what we started doing is addressing the, the points why startups are failing. So we noticed mm -hmm. that about 85% of uh, food startups are failing, which is such a high number. And mm -hmm. we started addressing the, the, the points uh, why they're failing. And mm -hmm. one of the biggest uh, point is the, uh, is the market fit. So we noticed that the product, uh, the way it is, and it could be the marketing, could be the branding, could be the product itself, could be the pricing, is not a market fit. 
so we what we did we created a, a, a very specific model where we incorporate the uh, the retailers uh, uh, into the decision making process so what we do uh, before uh, a company starts heavily investing we uh, develop the concept we do the research and then present it to the retailers and ask them for their feedback their opinion uh, before we launched is the price point correct would you like to see different certifications would you put this on your shelf is there something else you would like to see just to make sure when you launch a product you can see a level of success right away hmm. excellent and you know one thing i find interesting is that woven into your discussion here is um, very important trends in the market, which I think you as an expert in advising your companies, it's, it's like breathing for you, it's natural. But we wanna peel back a little bit of that um, and what you see as these trends that you're advising your clients toward. For example, um, there wasn't a trend of, oh, we, there should be cupcakes, um, but what is the content? What is the nutritional value of that? What are people's interests in terms of gluten-free um, veget, you know, plant-based, these types of things. How does, how do these trends inform what you're doing and what, I guess, even more importantly, what do you see are the key trends that are leading your guidance to the startups you're working with in the food space? Yeah, I, th I think, um, one of the biggest trends that we see is, is good for you, uh, products. So these are variations of products that are are doing well that um, a lot of people buy but contain a lot of sugar uh, or other additives so we see real trends of of popular food items that are uh, being developed as as good for you of course mm -hmm. we see a lot of uh, vegan products and and that's where where also retailers uh, come to us because um, what happens is that a large food company um, they look at the trends and they analyze the trends, but it's a, it's a big investment and a commitment for big food companies to uh, play on those trends. So consumers are looking for certain products, but it takes about two years for it to show up in, in grocery stores. So when we're talking to the grocery trades, they tell us what they're looking for and what they can get. And this is how we play on the trends where we bring so typically in about five to six months, we bring those products uh, to them in the mm -hmm. way that they're, they're, they're looking there for. Mm -hmm. So what I'm trying to say is that a typical grocery store is not reflecting uh, exactly what the consumers are looking for. And COVID mm -hmm. has brought a lot of awareness for wellness and, and products uh, of products that are just simply not good for you. So people yeah. are really gravitating to, towards those alternatives. Right. And, you know, another sort of aspect of this that we hear a lot um, in our discussions on this podcast is um, consumer interest in transparency. It's one thing to um, advertise that you know, it's gluten-free or um, non-GMO, plant-based, but sometimes consumers, especially when, for example, we talk about organic, you know, it's really hard to convince consumers why should they pay an extra 10% or 100% or something organic. And how do you address that question of transparency with the brands or the companies that you're working with so that the customers are comfortable that they're getting what they read on the packaging? Yeah, it's, it's this is really important. That's a very good point. Um, so we, 
what we also see is that consumers would like to uh, buy from real people. So the people that we work with, they have a real, they have their own health journey or issues which they're trying to, uh, to work through. And uh, they developed a product based on that. So they, they're just like anybody else uh, that, uh, so people like to connect uh, with the owners and the reason why they, they started their company and brought their company to, or their product to the market. And then other than that, it's uh, using, uh, using the right sources and also ingredients, uh, very clean ingredients, uh, local as much as possible. Mm. So people understand where, um, like it's a short supply chain because um, uh, right now it's, it's very difficult to get uh, a product from overseas, uh, ingredients from overseas, uh, packaging, there are long lead times. Uh, and mm -hmm. people really like to see uh, locally sourced. So we're helping also companies to reformulate right now and get that local source so they can mm -hmm. slowly get away from the long lead times and the uncertainty uh, of getting ingredients. Right. And then, of course, besides that, because we work with startups, it's uh, we like to work with certifying bodies uh, such as non-GMO project verified or organic. So people understand that these brands that they might not know really work according to a, uh, a standard. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned a couple things in there. The, the word organic will, I'm sure, come up always when we're talking about food, but also buying local and supply chains. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, sometimes for some people, this is related to sustainability um, and, and this larger question of environmental sustainability that is certainly at the top of many people's minds today. But how do you see that reflected in the in consumer demand in interest in sustainability or not in the case of their purchasing decisions? Yeah, we, we really see that and especially in the good for you uh, sector uh, where people are looking for healthy products and they find uh, recyclable packaging or uh, biodegradable very important because when they take it home, they would like to maybe reuse the glass jar, clean it out and use it for another purpose mm -hmm. or uh, they want to make sure that uh, it is recyclable when they put it in recyclable bin because they want to do their part uh, to make this uh, world a better place. Mm -hmm. It's very important and you'll see that more and more. And if mm -hmm. you start addressing that and acknowledging that it's not only about uh, bringing a product at the most possible uh, or the lowest price, but it's really important uh, to focus on those values and, and show them mm -hmm. when you bring your product to the market. Okay. Well, I think a little bit later in this discussion, I'd like to dig into you know, how technology is playing into some of these decisions and how it's communicating both um, information to consumers, but also feedback from consumers and supply chain to the producers. But, you know, one of the key values, I think, of your company is how are you helping companies navigate the hazards in not being one of the 85% that fail? Um, that's, you know, of course, a key value that you're bringing. And, you know, what are the tools that you use or the, and or the experience you use to work with the company to say, let's, let's focus on these key things and make sure we do them or don't do them um, so that you'll be successful. As part of our team, everybody has an area of expertise. Um, so this could be uh, manufacturing, sourcing, uh, product development, regulatory, um, so all those uh, fields are very important. So what we typically do is, is look at the foundation of the, of the company. So and it starts with uh, pricing. Um, so 
people typically don't know if you're selling something for, or it's in the store for, let's say, $4.99, the costing cannot exceed about $1.50. And it's really, really important to understand. So when you uh, know that you can only get so much for your product to work back and make sure that the costing is addressed before you start producing and making sure that you, uh, well, so what we do, we lay out the costing, uh, we uh, show them the cost of production, cost of having a broker, the promotional activities that are required to launch your brands and having a full understanding of your costing model before you start. And if ingredients are not in line uh, with your costing, making sure that you make the tweaks or the changes before you launch your product. So this way, mm. when you go to the market, it is completely aligned with, um, with the uh, pricing. And then also what we often see is that, um, that the branding, so people uh, are very excited about their products. They create a beautiful uh, label. They're really excited, but typically a consumer walks into the grocery aisle takes two seconds to make a decision, a purchasing decision. So it's really important to understand the psychology behind it. Like how can you express uh, the feeling and the trust and for people to understand that this product has value to them. Mm -hmm. so making sure that that whole foundation is in place uh, before you go to market. Right. Well, as with all parts of our lives today, it seems like technology is increasingly um, leading all that we do. And I'd like to discuss a little bit about how are you using technologies, new technologies to innovate and, you know, basically realize the trends that you see developing and how is that helping your, um, your customers who are these entrepreneurs? What are the key technologies that you're working with right now? Yeah. So, uh, so typically in the food industry, what we see, um, uh, especially at uh, the grocery and distribution level, we see uh, that it's still not a lot of technology uh, is being used, which is very unfortunate. It's a very hands-on uh, traditional industry. Uh, so what we started using uh, is a artificial intelligence uh, software. We partnered up with a company and we, um, what that does, we, uh, we use this technology to uh, map out and uh, determine which stores uh, geographically are the best stores to launch the product in. So this way we give the, uh, the brand owners a tool, but also we give the, the retailers directions because if they have a grocery, uh, let's say have a thousand grocery stores, we can, we can indicate to them, um, these are the 400 stores you should be launching is launching. And this is why this is the type of consumer that connects with our product and then also use social media and geo-marketing to target those uh, consumers. So this mm. way you get a better sell-through rate, a better relationship with the retailer. So this is how we start to incorporate uh, the uh, technology to help brands better. Interesting. This is certainly one of the first cases I've, uh, for these podcasts I've seen of incorporating AI into the process. And what kind of advantages does that give you in, in terms of you know, bringing value to your customers versus not having that tool available, say, two years ago. Yeah, it was it was very difficult to um, to determine the launch strategy. And so often, what what would happen is uh, we would launch in a lot of stores, but then we saw uh, no sell through rates in certain stores. So it's it's 
fairly easy to open up stores and get it in there, but to sell it through is uh, can be a challenge. So mm -hmm. after working with brands after a few years, we we noticed that uh, that was not the right strategy, but we had no tools to sort of making sure where is the product going to be successful. So it really mm -hmm. changed our approach and helped sure. brands yeah, to spend their money wisely and and getting success quicker. Of course. Now, a while back in this discussion, you also mentioned you know, the costing challenges, especially for entrepreneurs that might be new to the food space and really don't understand what the cross structure of their product needs to be to you know achieve their margins that they want to see or have margins even probably in some cases. Um, what types of technologies do you see either available today or coming in the near term that are going to be helping producers to manage their costs, manage transparency in production, raw materials, supply chain, um, and improve, you know, frankly, their business overall? Yeah, where, where we see uh, the biggest, uh, if I look overall over the costs that are involved, uh, the biggest room for improvement we see in distribution uh, because it can be very unclear for brands. Where is the product going? Um, where is it selling well? Uh, they basically ship products to the distributor and give a lot of power to the distributor because it's mm -hmm. sort of a black box, it's unknown. Uh, so what we see now more and more are, are blockchain technology uh, distributors that use um, uh, the technology. So uh, we work with a distributor that has a model they, it's a virtual pass-through. So what they, they use um, excess capacity trucks that are available. They also, so basically as a brand owner, you keep ownership of the product and see it through all the way to the end user and have complete visibility of when and how the product is being delivered. And this way it's, it's much more cost efficient. So we, a typical distributor would work on 25% and this type of model can can be close to 10%, mm. so, which is quite a savings. And as you start to build, uh, set up your food business or you're in the market, you see if you can uh, take out that 15%, that's that's huge. That, mm -hmm. that is a tremendous impact. Yeah, well, that's a, a great advancement for, especially again, the entrepreneurs who, you know, I, I think with your guidance are starting this from the beginning and not having to figure it out two years into their journey where they then have to restructure, you know, their entire ERP systems and just a way of doing business to integrate that. So excellent for you to bring, be bringing that to them on the cost management. Do you also see ways, and you mentioned blockchain as a way of providing transparency to the, the product uh, manufacturer, but how is, if and how can this provide transparency to the end user in your experience or end consumer of the food products? Yeah, it's, um, I, I, I've seen a few companies that are really trying to, uh, uh, I worked with a, uh, a startup company uh, that wanted to bring a, a cookie mix to the market and really identify and show the different ingredients exactly where they're coming from. Uh, sometimes this can be difficult for companies to compete uh, because what happens is that you want to have multiple sources available uh, just in case you run out or uh, to make sure there's no disruption in the supply chain. And uh, let's say for this cookie company, if they're using chocolate, it can be very difficult to trace back exactly where that product is coming from. 
So I think blockchain technology as it develops can really help to, uh, to show that visibility. And this might be still the old approach where uh, not all sources are being revealed uh, because especially distributors or importers, that's their tradition their role where they bring in ingredients and they supply or they uh, supply under their uh, under private label. So it's mm -hmm. still a shift needs to happen in, in the food industry to open up that uh, transparency mm -hmm. where they can really start embracing a blockchain technology. But you yeah. see some companies really embracing it, which is uh, fantastic. Well, you mentioned uh, a very important product there, chocolate. Um, and uh, looking at your background, I recall you have some deep expertise in this area. And this is also, you know, one of the prototypical products, you know, raw materials that people look at in, in terms of the beginning part of this food chain, um, where it's produced and concepts of fair trade, um, fair wages, um, food quality, organic, et cetera. And that's something that's just super not transparent to not only consumers, but I think even the, the companies that are buying the product. Um, and, you know, as you've explained, it's, it's a great value to um, for both end consumers and the manufacturers to understand that. But how do you think that might, um, if using blockchain and technologies and a consumer is able to actually, if you will, look back and say, oh, this this particular product came from this particular area. And in fact, I might even know the, not know them, but be able to understand who were the farmers and workers on this farm. What do you see as being possible in that as a way of encouraging both producers to use those products, but also as new ways of marketing to end consumers, knowing you know who the producers are of their products? Yeah, so I think new uh, new startups and newer companies that are entering the market are really embracing that and seeing that as as an opportunity uh, uh, to grow or uh, to show the transparency. Uh, it's still um, because the, the the way that the food industry is is structured, I think uh, it's it's still a challenge to to do so. So I think we need a little bit more of those trailblazers that really start opening uh, that up. And I think as soon as uh, other companies see the value where the consumer is really understanding, just like you mentioned, where the product is coming from and feel really uh, safe and secure about, uh, about consuming the product. Um, so I think that's still a change that needs to happen because it's, it's very traditional, but I think it can be fairly easy uh, adopted. Maybe chocolate is, is not the greatest example, uh, for example, grains or produce, those are easier or easier mm -hmm. items. So uh, chocolates, uh, they're all little uh, micro farmers. So I think an ivory coaster, is our, uh, their, which is the main source of uh, cocoa. There are about 30,000 different farmers. Mm -hmm. Very difficult to, to trace that sort of product back. But I think if we start with, uh, with uh, other essential items, essential ingredients that are in, in products, then uh, this can follow. Mm. And you, you mentioned grains, and uh, uh, we have an opportunity to talk to all sorts of uh, different um, food companies, if you will, here. And I actually heard of here in Canada um, one craft beer manufacturer that is apparently tracking grains um, that they're using for their production of their craft beers. Do you, do you see that in your region, say in Canada, of that activity of really 
Well, one, we mentioned buying local. It's, I guess, much easier to um, understand your supply chain if it comes, if a cheese comes from a farm 10 kilometers down the road to your restaurant. That's pretty clear. But what do you see as opportunities or, or even emerging activities and ability to track raw materials? Let's say nationally. Let's not even let's forget about going across borders, but just nationally in Canada. Yeah, we 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 see. Uh, I, I I see a collaboration um, with uh, with ingredient suppliers and with uh, uh, with producers of product. So, for example, a very popular item in uh, in Ontario, Ontario, Canada, are butter tarts and. Uh, butter tarts. Uh, one of our clients is making it with honey, and then a real specific honey in their Muskoka area, where they partner up with, so people can really identify where this honey is coming from. Because honey is one of those items that it's often brought from China, is being blended, uh, no different than olive oil is another item that's really being blended. So certain ingredients are, I think, where consumers really want to know where this is coming from, and. Uh, mm -hmm. Of course, an organic certification helps, but there's a cost associated to, to it. Not everybody likes to buy organic, but just to understand where the uh, food is coming from, from and, and the safety. Um, so you see uh, small initiatives where uh, transparency is, is, is being offered and that's really the trend. So I think now it's time for the food industry to start embracing the, uh, mm. uh, this technology. Um, so they can take it to the next level. Yeah, that's another great point that we could certainly dive into the, you know, the issues of blending, especially because often, you know, it's not known and, and not actually right. properly advertised. And certainly, you know, with a, a truly transparent, say, blockchain-based supply chain, um, I think both the, again, the producers and the end consumers would have more confidence in that. Now, you know, let's maybe go back and focus again a little bit on sort of back to trends, back to what is the future of food that you see with the companies that you're advising, um, whether it's exact case studies or, you know, just general trends that you see. What do you expect us to be talking about one, two, three years from now in, in terms of this is what people want today? Um, you know, there's probably continued interest in GMOs, organic, um, these types of things, but any areas that you think might surprise us that are going to be coming up? Yeah, I, th I think the, the health trend is, is really going to continue. I think COVID really uncovered uh, the importance of being healthy and staying healthy. Um, so I think people are really, um, and the things that we talked about with the transparency, people want to understand uh, uh, where food is coming from. Also, uh, supply chain is facing a a real issue. There is a shortages. Uh, we see this in the U.S. where shelves are empty. Uh, so there's a real concern on, on where product is coming from, where product is, is being sourced. So I think the real trend that we're going to see is local, uh, local growing of ingredients and the local uh, grocery store uh, where, I, where I shop. Uh, they, uh, it's an independently owned and they work directly with the farmers. And often when you're there, you see the farmer delivering the product, the eggs, the, the meat, uh, the produce. So I think that local connection, uh, that's a real trend uh, that's gonna continue. Um, I think we'll see uh, also a, a trend in functional foods where people understand their well-being. Uh, so and maybe alcohol, uh, sugar, 
uh, coffee are are not the greatest uh, food items for you. So you see now uh, where you add uh, function in into a coffee. So where you yes you get the energy, but uh, where they add different blends of mushrooms, epigenics. Mm -hmm. So I think those are are the trends that you're mm. that you're going to see. And that's I think that's certainly a word that I've heard a lot in say talking with food experts, functional, but it's not something that you hear very much outside of you know sort of the experts um, such as yourself, uh, other than maybe at the stream extreme end with sports uh, athletes, these types of things. What do you see as the key functional um, nutrients or functional foods that we might see more of in the next two or three years? Yeah, I, I think it's the replacement of um, uh, of, of um, foods, but then in a healthy way. So as an example, we're helping now to launch a, um, a, a Gatorade uh, uh, alternative. So replacement with pure, just a few pure ingredients where mm -hmm. people really understand, oh, this is the function, but it's natural. It has a natural source. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's, that's what you'll see uh, uh, functional foods uh, going. And of course, functional foods is, is, is a term being used uh, by marketeers or people in the industry. But it's really um, when on a daily basis, when I go about my day, uh, before people would say, oh, I'm tired, I'll have a coffee. Or in the afternoon, I'll have a sugary treat. And now they're saying, oh, how can I make sure I, I sustain my energy and I don't get burned out? And because people are stressed, uh, people are staying staying home because of COVID. They feel uh, sort of helpless. There's a lot of uh, there's also mental health issues are are uh, coming up. So how can I have a proper diet where that supports me in uh, my stressful life? Or how can I sort of uh, mm. use or work with foods as um, I don't want to say a medicine, but helping me feel good and making sure that I'm nourished throughout the day. Mm -hmm. so I think you'll, you'll see a shift where, uh, where people have more awareness of what they're eating and being more mindful. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like also, like you said, it's not necessarily a medicine or different medical medicinal components in food, but um, is it maybe that people are more conscious of putting less manufactured chemicals in their body and more interested and willing still wanting some positive effects, but wanting that to come from natural sources. You mentioned mushrooms and maybe other things like that. Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think that's, and, and number one, food always has to taste good because people really like to enjoy food. Mm -hmm. So if you have food that's really good for you or create a product, but just doesn't taste good, that's not something what, what people are looking for. Uh, yeah. But I think absolutely uh, ingredients that they can pronounce, that they understand, uh, that they know, uh, what's in the products. And that's part of the transparency and also the blockchain uh, mm -hmm. that you mentioned. Components. Good. Well, I mean, your company, I think, is certainly filling an important niche here in Canada. Um, and you mentioned you have quite a number of people involved. How do you see or your experience in Europe maybe being different than what we're experiencing here in Canada or North America? Yeah, there are different trends uh, in Europe, uh, as the US and Canada. Uh, so that's also one of the reasons last year we opened up an office in Europe. Um, 
because we recognize there is a lot of innovation in US and Canada, but it's, it can be challenging to go into Europe because it's a very different market. Uh, but the market is market size is actually bigger than, than the US. And also from a technical point of view, uh, so if you have a brand in the US and Canada, you pay uh, fees to get listed into a store. They don't exist in the European market. So it's fairly, can be very easy to, to expand. So that's the reason why we opened up an office and are supporting US and Canadian brands. Mm -hmm. And so what we see is that the trends, because the trends are different in where certain things they are uh, because of their supply chain is, uh, is very tight, very organized because of the way Europeans live. Um, also certain products are, um, uh, have a certain health focus because of a different lifestyle. But there are very unique products in US and Canada that can do very well uh, in those markets. And mm. that's, uh, that's what we help to identify and uh, bring them to the right. market as well. Well, that's certainly your expertise in you know, working with these globally diverse um, entrepreneurs and helping them enter new markets. Um, and because you have that experience, we're talking a lot about different technologies that um, not only are the future of food, but also enabling the future of food to diversify. Do you see a different acceptance or adoption rate, if you will, for different technologies in Europe versus North America? Or do you see the process, I guess, the acceptance being fairly similar? Yeah, I think in Europe, uh, technology is uh, being embraced uh, more quicker. And I think it also has to do with the need. Uh, so things as, as blockchain or a very tight supply chain uh, that's already has been addressed years ago. And it's just because the, uh, the square footage in the store uh, or the rent for, uh, uh, for retail space is very expensive because there's limited space. So um, there's more needs to be very creative and to make sure that all areas of costing are, are being addressed. So I think we're, especially the pandemic brought a lot of awareness for US and Canadian companies to make sure that all those things are addressed and margin is, 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 is addressed. So I think technology, we can uh, take a look at Europe and see how they go about uh, with technology. And uh, there's definitely things that we can learn from them. Mm. Well, I think we've had a chance to cover some great topics here today. And our viewers have seen that not only do you have tremendous expertise um, in advising startups in North America, but uh, from the European side as well, and you know, really helping these companies to understand where they should be moving and, and the regions that they should be focusing on. Um, and the uses, again, really impressed with the, your uses of technology and you know, using AI to actually help your customers versus just talking about a technology um, very, very impressive. So I, I hope some of our viewers okay. are seeing this and saying, we're going to go out and we're going to find Bernard because he's going to help us with, with our startup business or, you know, even medium to large size companies that need some of this capability. Absolutely. Well, with that, uh, Bernard, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, really exciting to see what the greater goods is doing. And uh, maybe we'll have you back again uh, in the future. And next year, we'll see, as we emerge from COVID, hear more about the trends of the, both the successes that you're having with your entrepreneurs, but also the new ones you see coming out as we move into whatever the next phase is of our uh, food-consuming world. 
That would be wonderful. Yeah, thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to uh, speak at your uh, Excellent. podcast. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks again, and you have a great day. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 